Hi, my name is Jonathan Martin, and you are listening to the Zeitcast. I wanted to take just a few moments to say something today that I feel like has been brewing in me kind of forever, but I don't think I've ever said it this way. I don't think I've ever thought to say it this way. But in that way that I'll have these moments every once in a while when I think if I wasn't here tomorrow and the idea really is that you want to go to the grave empty and pour everything out, what are things that you would regret not saying to the world or the little corner of the world that you might have some stake in? And that is this. I am so aware and I'm deeply empathetic at the fact that most people, and even if I have to remind myself of this on some days, it's generally what I really believe. Most people are doing the best they can. If I'm honest, I do have some exceptions to that. Sometimes I feel like I see people where I'm like, you know, I think you know better and you're harming people anyway in ways that are hard for me to accept. Generally speaking, I really do think that most people across any spectrum of any ideology are doing the best they know how to do in that particular moment. And one of the reasons I'm so compelled by Jesus, one of the reasons I personally keep coming back to Jesus is that in all the stories we were given of Jesus in the Gospels, the very idea of Jesus, what makes Jesus Jesus? Well, in the language of John's Gospel, as mediated to us by Eugene Peterson in the message, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. In any translation, there's this idea that Jesus is the word made flesh. He is the enfleshed word of God. And what we see over and over in the ministry of Jesus and the character of Jesus is that Jesus has this wonderful way of dignifying human experience. It's the central controversy of the ministry of Jesus in the gospels is that Jesus is always eating and drinking with the, quote, wrong people, eyeball to eyeball, leveling, dignifying people. Because for whatever else that Jesus sees, for however else that Jesus sees, Jesus is always able to see straight into the humanity, the tender, vulnerable human thing that's at the bottom with anybody that he's talking to. So if you find yourself torn because there's so many conflicting worldviews and voices that compete for your attention and you're struggling to discern what amidst that could be good, what could be God, what could be right, I would want to humbly offer this idea. Whenever I feel compelled 
to go deeper than the idea or the ideology and see the humanity of the person in front of me. It's hard for me to believe as a person who aspires to be a follower of Jesus, that that's not what God is doing, that that's not what God is saying. The trick, however, and whatever the ideology might be, is that we're always tempted to look at people and to reduce that humanity, to reduce that vulnerable human tender thing. There are exceptions to this because of trauma and because of abuse, maybe because of the simple phenomenon of psychopaths. But generally speaking, I think when people look into the eyes of a baby or even of an animal and they see those and they see big, vulnerable, open eyes. I'm thinking of a meme right now, the one of the dog that's kind of the please, please, please meme that sort of you can see in the eyes. Oh, please um, pay me attention. Please listen to me. When I think about the way that most people respond to another human or to an animal that feels endangered, that feels hurt, that feels afraid, the most natural response, the most intuitive response, the most deeply human response is, oh no, you don't want to see that person hurt. You don't want to see anything that exists suffer. And yet, there's this way that if we're buried with enough ideology that we can so collapse people's humanity with the ideas that we think they deserve whatever suffering they get and might even hope that on them. And I just can't imagine that's ever what God is doing. I remember years ago. Well, actually, here's a short version. And I have no idea who posted this, but when Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton were running against each other, somebody had posted photos of the two of them as children, like early childhood. And this idea of remembering them that way and praying for them that way. And I thought it was pretty revolutionary because I so believe that at the heart of anybody is a vulnerable child who's looking for affirmation, looking for acceptance, who is afraid, who is in desperate need to be loved, to be tended to. And we almost have to forget that when our ideology says that this is an opponent that needs to be defeated, that this is a, the embodiment of the representation of an idea that has to be destroyed. Well, we can talk ourselves into almost anything. But at the end of the day, who really wants to see somebody hurt more? Who really wants to see somebody tortured? It's one of my biggest things in terms of this idea of hell as eternal conscious torment. Who has ever done enough wrong or wickedness that not 6,000, not 6 million, not 6 billion, not 6 trillion years is enough punishment, but you would want to see them perpetually suffer because of something they did. What could possibly be that bad that after not thousands, not millions, but trillions of years, there is nothing of unendurable anguish and suffering that's left ahead. See, 
part of the reason that I love Jesus so much is Jesus, the word made flesh for me, gives permission to see the word of God, to see the activity of the spirit in the people around us, to see in their humanity. Well, it's the, the Imago Dei, right? It's the being made in the image of God. And precisely in that capacity for creativity, for hurt, for pain, for newness, we see something of the image of God. And who wants to extinguish that, really? I wonder even if that's what we think we want. If you go a little bit deeper, is that what's really in us? Precisely what I see God doing, what I think God is always doing, is trying to tenderize us to soften us so that we might be able to see those folks that we perceive as other, maybe even to see that image that we see staring back at us in the mirror and to be able to see the image of God. And instead of stoking fear or anger or resentment, which is always my thought now, when I can't say this strongly enough. I don't care if it's in the halls of a church. I don't care if it's in politics or music, whatever. Whenever I hear anybody trying to stoke my sense of outrage, anger and fear and resentment towards somebody else, I just can't imagine that that's what the voice of God by the Spirit is doing. That God who surely sees all humanity as children, who sees all of our most fundamental vulnerabilities, the ways that we're desperate for attention, for love, for respect, for dignity, to be seen, to be known. Surely if God is at work in the world, God is the one that is always summoning us, beckoning us, calling us to be able to see people deeper than whatever thing about them might cause some kind of external offense. And we'll see these vulnerable, created beings that precisely because they are created in the image of God have the capacity for to be hurt, to feel joy, to feel pain, to feel elation, to suffer in ways that I just have to believe that Jesus of Nazareth would only want us to be more and more tender, more understanding. And if we don't understand or if we're afraid of what we might see, Maybe the invitation is to listen longer, to listen a little more deeply until we're able to connect to that very deeply human thing. I could be wrong about a whole lot of things, but I don't want to take the risk of not being tender. Because I have to think that in the same way that God's spirit was made available to us in the form of a human baby, with all the squalling and squealing and the hunger and the need for protection and safety and love, that that's not somehow how God is calling us to see everyone around us now. And if it gets too complicated and you think, I don't know, yeah, but I don't know what to do with these scriptures and I don't know what to do with this doctrine. I don't know what to do with this story. Is there a way that you could, Trust that. 
that when you see the most deeply and you feel the most deeply the humanity of someone else, that's something of what it is to see in some small way how God sees, to feel how God feels. I just think in that way that heartbreak is much more reliable to trust than outrage. And that tenderness is much more reliable than hardness. Whenever and however we're able to see the people who are around us and truly see them as children of God who are vulnerable, which doesn't mean they're not gifted, which doesn't mean they don't have the capacity for strength and for power, but to see them in their vulnerability and to see something of our own vulnerability in that vulnerability, that we're not different from that, that we're still in need, that we still experience hunger and thirst, that we're still bodies inside of a body that have these biological, physiological, emotional, spiritual needs that have to be met for us to be able to keep going. But to be able to see that with tenderness and not with outrage, not with judgment, surely there's something trustworthy in that. And I hope that if you're feeling torn as to how to see or who to see or how to see them, somehow maybe you'd be able to trust that instinct, that intuition, even that revelation that the God who comes to us as the son of love that comes to us wrapped in vulnerability is calling us, summoning us, beckoning us to be able to see the world around us, the people around us, and their vulnerability, and not to respond with judgment, but to respond with tenderness. Always, 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 the invitation of the Spirit not to stiffen our necks, not to harden ourselves, but to be tender. I hope you hear that invitation today. Soften, to let your defenses down even though it doesn't seem like it's worth it. To trust anyway. To put yourself out there anyway. Because God is God that we find not in the loudness, not in the anxiety, not in the outrage, but God is found in the tenderness. God is found in the tender places. Thanks for listening to the Zycast.